This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, podcast featuring women in sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. and I'm a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And that was my phone beeping there because, you know, I forgot to put it on silent. Eh, sorry about that. So let's really quickly put that on silent. Okay. So I just wanted to quickly do an introduction. This is our second episode with Sally. Sally was so gracious and generous to share her first step story, complete first step story with us in our last episode, episode 105. And uh, and she was also gracious enough to continue and do a little bit of an interview back and forth as I asked her about some of the process of sharing her first step, of writing her first step, and kind of her own recovery journey. And so we're going to jump right into kind of our interview together, just about some of her story and some of her um, experiences in recovery. So if you haven't listened to her first step, you might want to go back and do that. That's episode 105. And then join us here for 106 for a continuation of Sally's first step experience. That's the second time I have heard your story and, uh, and connect with so many different pieces this time around than I did the last time. Um, are you, willing to talk about it a little bit? Yes, of course. So how was it worth it? How was the process of writing that story? First of all, you said you spent several hours and then it was difficult and it was hard. You've done it in just a few months. How was that process for you? Was it worth it? Definitely worth it, especially getting it all out there. I know that's what the first step is all about, right? Getting everything out there so that when I move forward, my recovery is whole and complete. Mm-hmm. As much as I put into this first step, I'm hoping to get that recovery out of it. Yeah. So yeah, going through the pain of all of remembering all of that and speaking all of that is worth it. Yeah. Um, it was beautifully written. I can feel so, there's so many different pieces um, one of the big pieces that I really connected with was just the, the childhood fantasy. When you were talking about you would go out and, uh, and you had this clubhouse or something and mm-hmm. you would fantasize, but it wasn't children, it was adults, right? You would fantasize this kind of family that would take care of you. How old were you when that was happening? Oh, I was so young, four, five. Yeah. Uh, that's when it started and it, it continued forever. I I built a clubhouse. I think I was eight. Like this little, I don't know if you call it a real clubhouse, but I used the hammers and nails and stuff. But I remember spending lots of time out there also and fantasizing about adults, adults that would be with me or care about me or or things like that. That's a it's a huge part of addiction, I think, for most women that I know. You know that they fantasize about this family that would take care of them yeah yeah the other part that I mean I so much but another piece that I that I really connected with was um just the the amount of danger that you put yourself in 
Yeah, without even thinking twice, right? That huge denial piece. Right. Texting, sexting while you're driving your children around, yeah. right? Or um, while you're places with your family. I mean, that that's a huge amount of danger that most society doesn't abide by, right? Texting while you're driving. Right. <laughs> but also, like, you know, telling people your name, mm-hmm. right? Most of my, a lot of my um, acting out was online. Yeah. So I also related to that chat room, like that double life chat room that you had. And it sounds like you did that for like a full year yeah. before you kind of started acting out. Right. Yeah. 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 And it was progressive. That's what I really connected with in the essay white book, how it's a progressive illness. It's, mm-hmm. It just starts out small and keeps getting bigger and it's never yeah. enough. Yeah. And... Um, based on you know kind of what you said like you had this I mean massively abusive childhood right I mean it breaks my heart to even think that a child would have to endure a part of that but you know what you went through Um, and massively abusive childhood and I loved the way that you wrote talking about like my child brain did this or interpreted it as that or you know like the qualities of God that you interpreted as a child based on the abuse that had happened to you. Has it been difficult to try to think about God or reframe God or reframe a higher power? Yeah, that's why I wrote that poem because I I want, I need God and the 12 steps show me that. All, or the first three steps are all about a higher power. Mm-hmm. And trying to, in fact, I think it was one of your awesome podcasts that reminded me. I'm a huge Amy fan, by the way. (laughs) But um, one of your awesome podcasts reminded me that um, I need to fire my childhood God, right? Mm -hmm. Because that childhood God was confusing and scary and, and not someone I could trust or look to. And so, yeah, I need to find that. Yeah. That one God. And I, and I'm finding him, that higher power who is there. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's so impressive to me, Um, just that recognition and acknowledgement that, you know, your abuse taught you so many things about God, right? And and sometimes I think a lot, I know I did too, like I struggled with kind of acknowledging those pieces of God that I felt like I had been taught but that didn't make sense in my head, you know, like I love in your poem especially how like you didn't want him to you don't want your higher power to be the abusive birth father or the abusive stepfather but you also didn't want him to be the you know um punching bag you know dad that you call dad your adoptive dad right, right. like that there had to be another thing out there for you to be able to connect with yeah yeah has that um how, like how did you or w- what helped you to come to those realizations that that you needed to change your your belief about God? Uh, mostly, so I think it's been a slow process throughout my life as I've tried to deal with that abuse, but really I think it came at Willow House. When I was there, I had 45 days of just being me, without a husband, without children, without my addiction, without even my cell phone, right? It's just me, and uh, that was when I came to realize that I wasn't connected to me. I wasn't connected to anyone around me. I wasn't even connected to this God. This relationship I had built with him was just 
um, kind of like I used men, right? I would use him for when I needed something. And it was there I finally realized there is something out there. Um, and that that's something for me is God. And I feel him. I feel the strength he gives me. I feel the um, the light. And at first um, in Arizona, there's, there's this... Um, this heat, right? And it's so warm and this sun. And I would wake up every morning with this sunshine and go out there. And that's where I realized the light came from. It was just like, I don't have to deserve the sun to rise and shine on me. I didn't deserve that, but it's still there. It's still rising. It's still shining on me. And it still feels really good if I just accept it. And that's how I feel with my higher power. Mm-hmm. So is Willow House... Um, Okay, hang on. So I'm trying to walk through your life a little bit. So uh, the other thing that really I really related to is like you had this massively child, you know, abusive childhood, and then you get married and you're just hoping that's going to fix all your problems, right? Right. It was the fantasy. The fantasy, (laughs) this escape of like, I'm finally married and this is going to rescue me, right? All my problems would be gone. I know. I, I know I held that fantasy for a very long time. You know, I, I haven't been married, but just that idea that like marriage would fix me or yeah. marriage would help me or rescue me or, you know, anything like that. Just that kind of fantasy, you yeah. know, that that would be the fixer. Yeah. And then when it wasn't right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a hard reality. Talk a little bit about kind of that breaking or shattering of your reality that marriage wasn't going to fix it. Right. I think that's why I fell back into addiction so easily. Because, of course, when I got married, it was going to fix everything, and I was never going to need to act out, never do anything like that again. But it was that fantasy destroyed. And it wasn't that my husband was this evil man or he was doing anything bad. It was just imperfect, a messy human, Mm -hmm. which I've come to love, a messy, imperfect human, because that allows me to be messy and imperfect. But at the time, I needed perfection. I needed that perfect fantasy to be okay. Yeah. And that's not how marriage is. <laughs> no, right? Not even close. Um, and and so then you had your first affair yep. and acted out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, but we're able to re- was able to reconcile. Right. Right. At that time, did you get any help or treatment? Any therapy? Any anything like that? So that's why I'm so glad, Amy. You are blazing the way for us women. There was nothing then about sex addiction, especially for women, right? Right. Um, So no, I mean, we did go to a sex therapist. That's what he was called, a sex therapist. But he never talked about my childhood trauma or anything. All he had talked about was our communication, Mm. right? I wish that somebody would have told me what a sex addiction was, could have told me these things that I'm learning now. Yeah. Your podcast would have saved me. (laughs) (laughs) And it is now. (laughs) No. Um, yeah, it's really difficult, right? Like to get help. Right. And to, because I think, I know for me, um, my story of fine, like I went to two therapists before I found my CSAT therapist and they were at different parts of my life where, you know, like had someone been able to recognize the signs or had someone been able to put pieces together, maybe my life would have turned out drastically differently. Right. But I saw these two therapists who were both great people and qualified and I learned a lot but there wasn't the awareness around sex addiction or the awareness around intimacy disorders or trauma or anything like that that there is now and that they're starting to be more right yeah it's I think it's so damaging yeah 
But then you were kind of able to hold it together for a big period of time. Right. 18 years, right? Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> right. And I try to say, was that pseudo sobriety? What was that? You know, yeah. but I think a lot of that was just sheer determination that mm-hmm. I was never going to hurt my husband and my children again. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. My story is similar. I had this big period of time where, like, I could hold it together, you know, and I recognize now that, like, I was acting out in other ways, right? Like, right. with food mm-hmm. or, yeah, yeah, all of us women probably. <laughs> That's a huge generalization. Don't take that to heart. But, like, you know, I was acting out with food. I was doing other things that were not really helping me. Yeah. But it was some kind of way to hold it together. Right. Sexually. For, you know, for me, it was almost, well, it was a little bit over 10 years that I was able to, under, a little bit under 10 years that I was able to kind of hold that together. You know, for you, 18 years, that's amazing, Yeah. right? And then how quickly, though, you were able to just get sucked back in. Right, right. That's one thing they taught me at Willow House, too, is that I don't, you probably know and probably talked about this in later podcasts, but when you go and when you access that pathway of the brain that's addiction, you are right back to the worst moment you already were. It's not like you have to catch up in your addiction. You're already as far as you already were. And for me, I was already you know, on the streets being, being me. And yeah, it it was so easy. Yeah. My, uh, my, my sponsor used to tell me, um, something is always progressing. Either your addiction is progressing or your recovery is progressing, but something is always progressing. Right. So when you decide to pick, if you're, if you decide to leave recovery and pick your addiction back up, it's not like, it's like you said, it's not like I have to start over and develop all those new, you know, start again. Like you're right back there at the very worst place and it just goes from there. Yeah. 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 Scary thought. Scary thought. Right? <sighs> yeah. Um, so you started and it just started with a, a video game on your phone. Yeah. Video game on my phone, right? Just yeah. playing a game while my kids were... I don't know, playing around, you know, mm-hmm. sitting there as a mom. Yeah. And then this chat come up. And and so you just got sucked. I mean, you really did have, it, it was, was called Second Life. Second Life. And it was absolutely instant. Yeah. All it took was for one guy to say something kind of sexual. And inside me, it all came you back. Were gone. I was gone yeah. instantly. Yeah. And so that, t- that took place for... I don't know, like a year, you yeah. said, right? Yeah, a whole year. And then you were in a car accident during that yeah. time. You lost a baby. Yeah. I mean, like, I think about the continued trauma of your life, like yeah. car accidents, losing babies, multiple surgeries. Like, the minute you got back in there, you were also back in the trauma, right? Right. Yeah. And then revisiting your childhood trauma by being in your mother's house. Yeah. Yeah. Too I, much. Too much. I mean, that's too much for anybody to handle who doesn't have an addiction, right? right? I mean, that that's a lot. Yeah, and I didn't have the help. I didn't have a therapist. I didn't have anyone to talk to, not really. Mm-hmm. No one that knew or understand. I mean, my first step, this story, is the first time I've shared my trauma. You know, before that, it was just me in my head. Yeah. And now that it's out, it's freeing. I don't have to hold it in anymore. It's yeah. not just mine. Did your husband know about your trauma kind of coming into your marriage? Right. He knew about my trauma, all of it. I had told him all of it. So thankfully, none of that was a surprise. But this addiction, right? Neither one of us really understood how impacting a sex addiction Mm -hmm. can be and is. Yeah. So when this man shows up to take you away from it all and give you this fantasy life, oh, before we talk about that, 
The other thing I really related to in what you said was uh, I wrote erotica. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, I read a lot of erotica. Yeah. And I wrote a lot of erotica. Yeah. And I remember thinking similar to you, like, you know, I, this, I'm just taking care of myself. Like, right? Like, I don't have a relationship. So this is how I take care of myself. I take my fantasies and I write it out. Right. Right. This is my creative side. Right. Right. This is my creative side. (laughs) Let me create my whole addiction. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, I mean, crazy. Some of the stuff that we do in addiction that we like don't even recognize or realize that's harming us yeah yeah and like so we talked about safety here was this man who must have stalked you yes definitely yeah must have figured out where you lived you know what was going on to show up you know at a surgery and basically take you away right yeah he lived across the country right so he yeah went out of his way to come and find me now there were so for this year he was that man right at the very beginning he was that man and there'd be months where I would quit and I'd be like I don't need this this is not good you know not that I ever knew it was an addiction Mm -hmm. I definitely wouldn't have admitted that but yeah so there'd be months and I'd say okay I can do this I can stop right and then falling back into it and so yeah by the end when that year had passed and when I'd finally had that last surgery, it had been a year being with this man acting out and thinking that I could just keep it like that. This this secret thing that I used him on the side as much as I needed to or whatever. But yeah, he, he stalked me. He's a dangerous man, a predator who, who, yeah. How could I not have realized what danger I was putting myself and my husband Mm -hmm. and my children in? It was just that all consuming. I had to have that high. Mm-hmm. I didn't care at what cost. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, addiction really doesn't help us to stay aware of the costs, right? right. Like, yeah. I, in listening to you, I thought of the number of times I walked into a scenario with a man where I could have been kidnapped, raped, you know, killed, uh, you know, like just the danger. Or how many men I invited to my house that, you know, could have come in and and killed me, raped me you know, hurt my roommate. I mean, whatever the deal was, like, I don't think about my own safety. Like that addiction just takes over my brain and I don't stay aware. Right. Yeah. And the most um, tragic part for me, I think, was that fantasy world combined so much with my addiction Mm -hmm. because of this fantasy that it wasn't really what it was. Mm -hmm. It was definitely not this dangerous situation. It wasn't this dangerous person. It was just me living out a fantasy of this second life I had. Right. Right. Yeah. Just online. It's It's not real. Right. 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 (laughs) I think I, yeah. I'm sorry. I talked myself into that so many times. Yeah. Like, it's not real, you yeah. know. I can stop anytime I want. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Yeah. Right. Right. But the progression of mine to come and be taken, to be drug across the country, to have this, that all that I suffered during that period, uh, that was me. Mm-hmm. That was my addiction. That was the culmination of the danger right. I put myself in. Right. Because, I mean, I... I, I love your, what I do also love about your stuff is like just the level of ownership, you know, like, yeah, he came and I went, right? Like, you know, and, and just the variety of things where you say like, yeah, all this trauma happened to me and I made these choices, yeah. you know, and, and that's hard. I think that's hard. Like for me, it was hard to look at my victim 
my, my victim mentality wanted to be like, well, I did this because this happened to me. And I did this because you did that. Right. And I did this and just that kind of like back and forth and just, I found no help or relief in that. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Cause when, whenever I'm blaming someone else, it's just feeding my addictive side. Right. Mm. It gives me more, more reason to resent someone else. Yeah. I think there's like an acceptance that comes when you just say, I was part of that. Like, yeah, yeah, I might not have had the skills to, to do something different. Right. Maybe I always talk to my therapist about kind of the inevitability of my life. Right. Like based on my trauma or things that happened to me, it's inevitable that I ended up doing what I did, you know, but that doesn't mean that I can't take responsibility for that or change that or see that and, and move on and do something different, you know? Right. Which is so inspiring by your story. I mean, so across the country, right, you check yourself into a hospital, and then from there you um, had the opportunity to go to Willow House. Right. Right? So um, for those of you that don't know, like, I'm a huge Patrick Carnes fan. You should all know that probably, but it's all good. Um, so Patrick Carnes has a facility or started a facility in uh, Arizona called the Meadows. And there's several different programs that run at the Meadows. And one of them is called Willow House. And it's, it's new. It's, it's really new, right? right? Like, I think you're the first graduating class. Yes. Isn't that right? Yeah. I was so lucky to be a part of those, the newness of like, uh-huh. You know, not that they were training us, but at the same time, all those people that were excited to get this going for women. Yeah. Because there was always the men's side that had been going, the gentle path side for uh-huh, men. Right. And this was finally the women's side, right? We could tailor yeah. these ideas to women and how yeah. different it is for women and men. Yeah. And to have the exact treatment that I needed at that time, it couldn't have been more perfect timing yeah. for me to go there. Yeah, it's one of the first, if not the first, I think it's the first, but I don't want to misspeak there, inpatient treatment designed for women sex addicts. 100%. It's the first and one of the only. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the only. And and so I'm super excited that that facility exists for women. Um, And so tell us, we're not trying to do a commercial here, but tell (laughs) us just a little bit about your experience there. Like... Um, how long did it last? Kind of what, you know, what you were doing there and, and how that worked. Right. So I, I'm not trying to, you know, make everyone want to go there, <laughs> but it is absolutely the most amazing place to be at for a woman with sex addiction. So when I showed up, I honestly did not know that um, I was going there for sex addiction treatment facility. I thought, okay. you know, this mental health, because I just had this ordeal right. and I was going to go get some help. And so I show up and they say, okay, so um, how long have you been a sex addict? And I was like, I'm not a sex addict. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like that's a man who looks at porn. That was my my idea of a sex addict. And right. I'm not a man and I don't look at porn. So no, that's not me. Um, but I really came to believe that through, they had a lot of group stay. I was there for 45 days okay. and it's just mostly, they take away all that you can. They don't even have you know, no smoking, no sugar, even just anything that you can use as an alternate addiction. They're trying to eliminate that as much as possible so that you can really come to terms with where you're at. Mm -hmm. And so I was there, I was coming to terms with all my trauma, but also my addictions, you know, like um, the inter addiction interaction, 
Patrick Carnes um, himself and his daughter Stephanie. I don't want to like name drop here, but it's all you know, good. it was really awesome that she was she would come and she'd visit and she'd work with us and kind of just give us this training about mm-hmm. what sex addiction is and how to. Um, focus on not relapsing how to set up a good program and you know the whole facing the shadow the 90 day focus right. and everything about it was just so perfect um the group there also so they they want you to do more group work because it's kind of like what your podcast gives to other women right this connection of i'm not the only one right i'm not crazy yeah right yeah right and how awesome that was for my for me especially i had never met another woman sex addict or a woman that had a similar story than me right Mm -hmm. like even with you you're just telling me about writing erotica I'd never met a single woman who would ever say that even if they were right Right. (laughs) who would own it right (laughs) right right so yeah here I was with other women that were there and um the group work was very healing um they the most takeaway I got from that was this little pin it's a camel and the camel can go 24 hours without a drink reminding me that I can go my recovery day by day 24 Mm. hours that's all I have to look at the camel has those ups and down humps which reminds me that my recovery has ups and downs but that's what makes it unique and beautiful and also the camel starts its days and ends its days on its knees and when I do that my recovery will be successful and um, so as I left that place I left with not only knowledge of sex addiction but tools to help me continue my sobriety and my recovery I also got this um, jump start. You know, I think a lot of people, the inpatient treatment facility gave me a huge jump start, right? If you're going this out alone and your therapy is only once a week, I got so much intensive right there that I was able to deal with a lot of stuff and have that support Mm -hmm. all at once. So I really got a huge jump start for me personally, and I needed that. Yeah, awesome. So, and and then you got out. Right. Right. And that's how I met Amy. <laughs> right. Well, you, yeah, you came home. I yeah. mean, you live maybe two hours from here. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So you drive, just to be clear, two hours every Saturday to go to your uh, fellowship meeting. Right. And so when I got out, they said, you have to do 90 and 90. You have to go to 90 days or 90, 90 meetings, meetings in 90, 90 days. days. And so I'm looking up, there's no all women's group, right? There's this right. one right where we live. And I was willing to drive as far as I needed to. I didn't care. I needed this group more than anything, especially with me in the beginning stages. I didn't want to interact with the men at first. You know, mm-hmm. I was too scared to real, you know, really see how I would do in that situation. Right. So this was a huge lifesaver. I walk in. I'm scared. I sit down in this 12-step meeting. And I remember telling my husband at first, because they had encouraged me to get a temporary sponsor, like, instantly. And I mm-hmm. told my husband, like, I don't know any of these women. There's no way I could ask any of them. And my husband's response was, just look for somebody who looks like they know about recovery, right? And I walk in and there's this woman who exudes recovery. (laughs) Amy, you exude it. Oh, thank you. Everything about you says recovery, says healing, says hope. You exude it. Thank you. So thank you. Well, I'm just glad that you showed up. I mean, two hours, right? I know a lot of people live in remote areas and they... You know, they don't have access to any meetings, right? Um, and that's really difficult. I know for a lot of women, that's really difficult. They don't have access to meetings. But, you know, I think it's impressive. It's impressive, you know, that you would drive two hours. Like, 
my first meeting was like 15 minutes from my house and it was hard to me to get 15 minutes to from my house. But you know, like the fact that you would come two hours, you know, and make that shows a lot about where you're at and your dedication and your willingness to pay the price to have recovery in your life. Whatever price I'm paying it. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So as we just kind of close up here, what, um, Oh, before we close up here, you have been sober for how long? Three months. I'm so this, proud of today you. Today is actually my 90 day. That's so, awesome. Yes. Good for you. Yes. That's so exciting. I am super excited. Yeah, for sure. I'm super proud of you. That's hard. Yeah. Those first three months are so hard. Right. And the denial, right? It's coming yeah. out of the denial. It's coming out of the total pattern of mm-hmm. this is how I, this is what I do when I have emotion. So mm-hmm. for me, it was huge. It is huge. Yeah. And like I said, I'm a huge Amy fan. So those podcasts, uh, listening to them daily, it just reminds me I'm doing recovery. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. why. <laughs> super, super good to have that daily connection to yeah, recovery. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And then what is your message for all these women? And there are men, so men too. <laughs> I don't I don't like to leave them out because I that they're awesome. For all these women and men that listen to um, the Worth Recovery podcast, what's your message today? What would you like to share and end and tell them? Um, I'm gonna go another plug off of you. Oh, <laughs> I am a worth warrior and I am happy to be one. Do you know why? The ending of your every ending that I'm worth it. I am worth this. I'm not doing this recovery for my children, for my husband. I'm doing this for me. I need this recovery. I am worth this recovery. And I am doing this. I am the one Mm -hmm. doing this recovery. No one else is. So you can too. You can be the one that stands up and says, I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing it for anyone else. Because that's where the true power comes from. Taking that ownership, owning your whole story, and then owning your whole recovery. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being so willing and open to sharing because I know that's hard. And now your story's out there and so many people are going to benefit from that. Thank you for being willing to do that. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Would you like to um, read? Would you like to give our ending today? (laughs) Yeah. As an opportunity? Yes, I would love to. Okay. Okay. I'll let you tell all the women out there. Okay, as always, ladies, we hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this moment, you are worth recovery, 100% worth it. We know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget, you can support worth recovery by using a by being a worth warrior. And I'm one. I'm happy. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. Remember that we think about you, all of you out there. We pray for you and we love you. Until next time, Amy and Sally.
stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.